Father, as we open your word together this morning, please give us open hearts and minds to hear, to receive, and Lord, to make change in our life by the power of your Holy Spirit. None of us are all the way there. All of us need to be more like Christ. Lord, may this morning be one small step in that direction. We ask all of this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. We are in a series on prayer, and we'll continue that all the way through the season of Lent. This morning, we want to talk a little bit about an attitude of prayer. Back in 1807, something happened to Napoleon eight years before the humiliation he experienced at the Battle of Waterloo. Something that I imagine stood out in his mind, possibly for the rest of his life. You see, he had just got the victory in the Fourth Coalition War. He had forced a treaty, and he was sitting on top of the world. And he decided to celebrate that victory. And that celebration was to have a rabbit hunt, an outdoor luncheon for some of key, the key members of his military and some dignitaries. So he asked his chief of staff to go gather the rabbits, to set up the luncheon, to get it all ready, and he did that. He collected hundreds of rabbits, stuck them in cages at the edge of the field, and then got all the luncheons set up, and then the men ready to hunt the rabbits stood in a group with Napoleon in the front, and they released the rabbits. And then something happened very unexpected. Some of those rabbits began moving toward the hunting party, not away from them. And eventually, this whole sea of rabbits came bounding toward the men and surrounded Napoleon's feet and those around him, and began trying to go up the legs. Some of them got into his coat pockets, and he was pushing them out of the way. Others began taking sticks, trying to beat these rabbits to get them off of Napoleon. And eventually, this world leader, considered the most powerful man in Europe at this point, ran to his carriage knocked rabbits out of his carriage because they had gotten into there too and sped off in humiliating defeat from bunnies. What in the world would cause rabbits not to run from men who had guns but to charge them? And you may wonder, how could I even answer a question like that? And yet, as hard as that question is, I have one that I feel like may be equally as challenging at times. What makes God answer our prayers? What makes God listen? What gets his attention? 
So let me ask you, have you ever prayed and thought, God really didn't do much with that prayer? Have you ever prayed and thought, I wonder if God's even listening to this? Have you ever prayed for something over and over again and still wondered, is God doing anything with this? Is there something that makes God listen, causes God to listen? Is there something God looks for? And the answer is yes. And it's in this parable. Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. Should be Bibles in the pews. It's on page 1494. We're going to go through this parable together, asking that question what gets God's attention? Luke chapter 18, page 1494. We're starting in verse 9. Luke 18 and verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. We definitely have an audience. He's telling this to people who trust too much in themselves and they look down on others, what we would call pride. And he's going to give two men. We're going to start with the first one. Two men went up to the temple. The temple is located on a hill. If you go to Jerusalem, you will see that you have to go up to get to the temple. So they go up to the temple. One of them is a Pharisee. Now, if you have heard many Bible stories and sermons and you've heard of things on Pharisees, typically they are the villain. Typically they look bad. Typically it's the Pharisees that are the hypocrites if you are going through the New Testament. But what you need to know is that if you were listening to this parable in their time, the Pharisees would have been thought of as the pastors, the missionaries. These were the good guys. These were the ones that were following the Lord in faithful ways, and people looked up to them. On the other hand, and the other tax collector, they were the bad guys. These were the traitors. The tax collectors came to their own people and took their money and gave it to Rome. So the Pharisees, the good guy, the tax collectors, the bad guy, and if you were a first century Jew hearing this parable, you might be thinking, okay, I know when to hold up the boo sign, and when to hold up the yay sign. Tax collector, boo. Pharisee, yay. That's what would have been happening in your mind. And so then he starts the parable. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. So he has walked probably all the way as close as he can get up to the temple. He may be near the inner courts. He's a Pharisee, he's a religious leader, he can go quite a ways. He can't go into the very inner sanctum because he's not the high priest, but he can get really close. And he starts to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now, I could say this in a way that could be something like this. God, I thank you that I am not cheating on my wife. I am not cheating on my taxes. I'm not treating my neighbors awfully. There's ways you could say positive things here, but what do we know by the way Jesus started the parable? These words are not coming from a good place. They're coming from a place where somebody trusts in their own righteousness 
and they look down on others. This is a prideful statement. And so it should be read kind of like this. God, I thank you that I am not like all those other horrible people. That's the way it's coming across. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers are even like this tax collector. Now, we know physically where the tax collector is. He's back there somewhere. Because he, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even approach. But the Pharisee must have noticed him when he came by. Even like that tax collector. I'm not like that one. I fast twice a week. That is one more time than what Pharisees were supposed to fast. So he's doing his spiritual deeds to a greater degree than what's required. I give a tenth of all that I get. In general, this guy's doing things he's supposed to do. This is the kind of thing you'd want. I mean, do any of you want to be the evildoers, the adulterers, the robbers? No. But he has an attitude that is pride. Let me point out a couple of things. Number one, pride thrives off of comparison to the faults of others. Pride thrives off of a comparison to the faults of others. As he comes, he says, I'm glad I'm not like this person who steals things. I'm not like this person who cheats on their spouse. Now, ignore the fact that I have a terrible temper. Ignore the fact that I'm critical of everybody around me. Pride thrives off of comparing itself to the faults of others. Do you do that? Number two, pride thrives off of focusing on my strengths. I'm really good at this. Let me make sure that's where my focus is. And then when I compare myself to you, let me find the people who are weak in the areas that I'm strong in. Because what does that do? It lets me look really good. I'm succeeding, you're failing. Look at me. But that is what pride does. Pride compares itself to the faults of other people and it focuses on my strengths. And pride blinds us to the need of those around us because I'm so focused on me and how good I am and, to be frank, hiding my weaknesses that I lose sight of the people around me. Pride is a very blinding thing. So one time, Ronald Reagan, when he was governor of California, he made a speech in Mexico City. And this is what he said about the speech. After I had finished speaking, I sat down to rather unenthusiastic applause, and I was a little embarrassed. The speaker who followed me spoke in Spanish, which I didn't understand. And he was being applauded about every paragraph. To hide my own embarrassment, I started clapping before everyone else and longer than anyone else 
until our ambassador leaned over to me and said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's interpreting your speech. You see, our pride blinds us to what's going on around us. We get so concerned about defending ourselves. We get so concerned about everybody looking at us in a certain way that we can't see what's really going on around us. So, here's my first question for you. Do you struggle with pride? And let's get very specific. Do you find yourself very critical of the people around you? Do you find yourself noticing other people's faults often, but maybe not so much your own? Do you find that you're very good at seeing some of where you are strong? Maybe a little more difficulty seeing where you're not. And a hint of that is this. It's really easy to be generic about our weaknesses. Yeah, I struggle with anger. And then leave it at that. Even that can be prideful. It's much more difficult when you go, you know what, I struggle with anger in this way and in this way. I respond to people like this. These things set me off. And then I have to start dealing with my weaknesses. Do you struggle with pride? So here's the other side of it. Humility. Let's look at the tax collector. Go back into your text. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. It's interesting the language Jesus uses. One of them stood by himself. The other stood at a distance. Pride often isolates us. You will find yourself alone the greater your pride is. Part of that is because if you're so critical of everybody around you, who wants to be around you? Part of it is the more you have to hide your weaknesses, the less you want to be open and vulnerable with people. And you'll find yourself isolated. But this guy stands at a distance. You know where most people are standing around the temple? At a distance. He's actually standing where most people would be. It's the Pharisee who's walked up by himself further in. So he stands. He's with others. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's what you see about humility. Humility thrives off of comparison with God. Boy, you can compare yourself to anybody in this room. And there's some way you can look good. It doesn't matter what it is. So if I want to compare myself in terms of carpentry, I will never stack up to Craig, ever. But I can find something that I'm better at than Craig is. And as long as I focus on that, I can still look good. But if I compare myself to God, I will never win the comparison. Unless we're talking about sinfulness, then I win. But there's nothing that I'm better at than God is. When I look at the life of Christ... There's no way I can look at that life and go, well, I love better than he does. Well, I forgive better than he does. I'm more patient than he is. I show more mercy than he does. No, I don't, ever. 
Humility thrives off comparing itself to God, not to send us into a spiral of guilt, but to recognize we still have a ways to go. I don't ever get to stand up and go, yeah, look at me. But if I compare myself to people around me, I'll always find some way of stacking up. Humility thrives off comparing itself to God, and that's what he does. The reason he beats his breast and, and won't even look, it's he's comparing himself to God going, I'm a sinner. Number two, humility thrives off of focusing on the entirety of life. Notice he actually doesn't give specifics here. He just calls himself a sinner. He looks at his life and he says, I'm a sinner. Now, I don't think, and I'm conjecturing here, I don't think that he doesn't believe he does nothing good or bad, I mean, well, or that he's just a totally awful, terrible person. But when he looks at the totality of his life, unlike the Pharisee, who focuses in on, well, I tithe and I fast. Those are the things I do. When you only focus on your strengths, it's really hard to be humble. When you focus on the entirety of your life, you see something different. So I got to go to a news set one time. It's my only time I think I can remember ever being on TV. I got to go to an early morning, it was like a 6 a.m. newscast in Dallas. There were, I think there were a dozen of us that were on there. And this is what I remember from my experience. If you've ever been on a newscast, there are cameras and wires and electronic components everywhere. I mean, they are just like snaked all over the place. You've got all these camera people. You've got people giving gestures about what to do. And yet, there's also a television that is showing what people watching the TV are seeing. It looks perfect. All they see is just this little narrow window of the newscasters. In fact, at one point, the camera, it it does this like arc sweep over the 12 of us, and they did it in such a way that when you're watching it on TV, it looked like there were about 40 people there. And we're all cheering, and I think they raised the volume. Because it was just 12 of us. It looked dumb, but not on TV. They did the camera in such a way that it made it look like there were a ton of us standing there. Pride just looks at that little television screen. And it says, that's my life. But if we would just look around, we would see all of the wires and all of the stuff that's out of place in our life and recognize, yes, we are doing some things well. We have some things right. We also have a whole lot of things that are off in our life. Humility. Why am I talking about pride and humility? Finish the parable with me. This is what I didn't read. Verse 16. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, we just held up the sign that said, Boo, tax collector. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's my singular point for today. If you want God to listen to your prayers, 
they need to come from a place of humility. Because according to Christ, God hears the humble. Those who want to exalt themselves should not think they will get much from the Lord. Because when we exalt ourselves, that is our reward. We exalted ourselves. People saw us and went, wow, you're awesome. But God listens to the humble. It's how we begin our service. The broken and contrite, God hears. So, if you want to know the attitude to come before the Lord with, it is one of humility. If you'd like to know how to cultivate a spirit of humility, I would encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, take a serious look at your life. Not to beat yourself up. God never wants us just to beat ourselves up. But to actually see where you are. Where are your weaknesses? Where are you treating people like you don't want to be treating people? Number two, take a look at the life of Jesus. See the ways that he does things like wash the feet of those that he leads. The way that he rejects people when they are trying to make him king. The way that he gets out early in the morning to be with the Father. And when the disciples come to him and they go, hey, the whole village is looking for you. Instead of taking that opportunity, he says, no, I have more work to do for the Father. Or the biggest one when he is on the cross and he says, forgive those who just nailed things into my hands and feet. Just look at his life and see where yours is. Spend some time focused on other people. There are ways of cultivating humility. Why did those rabbits charge Napoleon? You see, his chief of staff decided it would be too labor-intensive to go out and catch a bunch of rabbits. So instead, he went around to all of the farms in the area. And he had the farmers help him catch all of the domesticated rabbits that spent all of the time on these farms. Rabbits that were used to walking, hopping right up to people and letting them feed them. These were all rabbits used to people. And then he took all of these domesticated rabbits and he stuck them in cages. Well, when he released them, the rabbit saw a bunch of people and behind them was a bunch of food on tables. So what did they do? They do what domesticated rabbits do. They charge the people to get food. There was a reason the rabbits did what they did. The same thing is true in our prayers. There is at least one reason God listens to the prayers of his people when they come to him with humble hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son whose life exemplifies humility. Though he is creator, though he is God, he humbled himself to become one of us and then lived a life to serve 
those he had created. Lord, help us be more like him. Cultivate humility in our spirits. We ask this for the honor and glory of our Savior Jesus. Amen.